welcome back to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. My name's Wayne. I'm Robert. And welcome everybody to the monster episode. I know we've alluded to this a couple times, and this is a gigantic topic, but it is something that Robert and I really wanted to tackle because, like everything else, Dark Sun is unique, and monsters are one of those things that makes it extremely unique. I know we talked about races last time, where there's like, you know, it's it's not the typical D&D races. And same for the monsters. I mean, you need to have those unique monsters and unique villains for a setting to make it special. So today what we're going to do is we're going to delve into some of the monsters. Now, I want everybody to be prepared that we are not going to talk about every single monster in depth. I mean, I was looking at the Monstrous Compendium, uh, the Appendix 1, that doesn't even have page numbers. So I don't even actually know how many monsters there are. I didn't (laughs) go and go through and make a count. But there's a lot of them. And what we want to do is take some of the iconic ones, take a couple different sources, you know, not not every single source. I'm, I'm not as familiar with every single source. Uh, I want to take some of the more iconic ones. And we're also going to break out a couple different topics from this as well. We're not going to talk about certain monsters in depth because we're going to go into them later on. We're kind of reserved them for different topics. To kind of break it down, we want to talk a little about what makes a Dark Sun monster different than just a regular D&D monster. Because that's really, when someone comes to the show, hopefully they're looking at going, oh, well, like D&D, what's this Dark Sun thing? So, a couple of things that uh, we had thought of, and as we go through the notes, hopefully you'll get a, a, an idea. So, Robert, why don't you kick us off here? What, what is it that makes a Dark Sun monster different, a monster of Athos different than just a typical D&D monster? Sure. So, just like Dark Sun in general, everything on Athos is kind of bigger and badder and, and more carnivorous. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill you, you know, even the plants and, you know, all of, uh, not all, but you know, a lot of, a lot of monsters have psionics. And so kind of, they're just, everything is kind of scarier to make it even different and more scary is the fact that in kind of horror and survival, things that we don't understand or don't know are often seen as scarier. And so in Dark Sun, almost all of the monsters are kind of new. There is, uh, I believe at the beginning of the first monster manual or no no in the original box set it t- there there are a couple pages that have a list of monsters that are kind of in the regular D world that can be in dark sun but one of the things that they you know that they did is they made so many new monsters and i think that is uh, one of the big things that really makes them scary you know many many of these things they're not necessarily evil they just want to eat you <laughs> because they want your flesh and they they need the the liquid in your in your blood and so a lot of the things are sort of like naturalistic but also um, very deadly because of the mm-hmm. lack of resources in dark sun because you're always trying to survive these creatures are trying to survive as well and so you might mm-hmm. have to fight a giant lizard or a drake in order to get to that water that you really really want and so it puts that scarcity element back into play when uh, you know you're not only fighting other kind of humanoids, which we'll also get into, and, and other humans, but you're fighting monsters for those scarce resources. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things uh, you know Robert hit it on the head is that I remember whenever I ran Dark Sun, I would never use anything from the regular monster manuals, the monsters compendiums. You only use Dark Sun monsters yeah. because number one, the players uh, weren't as familiar with them. They didn't know what they were. Even if they did, they don't really remember what the powers were. But number two, there's things that just absolutely don't don't fit. Like there's no horses right. in, in Dark Sun, right? Like I think one of the, the notes that, that Robert made it was like there are no there are very few mammals. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't consider humanoids, but everything's kind of insectoid or reptilian in nature, plus your carnivorous plants and whatnot. 
and you got a couple of those, you know, the crodlu, which, you know, if they're dinosaurs or they're birds, something or rather like <laughs> cross between. Yeah. Not a lot, yeah, not a lot of mammals. It's not like you got a little fuzzy cat that's going to be sitting beside you. Yeah, I'm here looking at the, uh, on page 78 of the original rules book, there is like a page of other monsters that could be from, from the other monsters compendiums and other worlds. And, and they're all like mm-hmm. centipedes and basilisks and ants yeah. and ettins. Uh, that's a new one. I, I never even thought of ettins and ettercaps. Hmm. You know, okay. uh, remorhas, uh, scorpions, skeletons. So like yeah. all of these things that are, you know, like you said, you know, they're not mammals. Uh, maybe there's there's a rat in here, which I probably wouldn't put a rat in Dark Sun. This was the original box set, and I think things change a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you look at, you know, let's delve into the sources real quick. You know, if you look at the other sources, at the later sources, they did things like in the Terrors of the Desert Monsters Compendium, which is the first Monsters Compendium that came out for Dark Sun. They put kind of like household animals in there. So like specific things that are from Dark Sun, you know, that you would only find in Dark Sun. And uh, they're kind of lizards mm-hmm. and uh, various things like that. The societies and cultures have, have grown to cultivate in this world where they're, you know, like we were talking about, there are no mammals. So talking about sources, though, so in the original Dark Sun rules book, there are like two creatures in there. There are the Terrors of the Desert is the one we were talking about a moment ago. And that, that's the old style of uh, Montrose Compendium where it's all loose leaf. Mm-hmm. And there's Terrors Beyond Tear. And those are the two sort of major books that came out for Dark Sun that had monsters in it. During that time also, Dragon Magazine 173 and 185, if you can find those, those are essential. Not only for some of the monsters it talks about, which we'll get into later, but there's just a bunch of articles that are Dark Sun related in each of those. I think each of them has like at least three articles that have to do with Dark Sun. And then beyond those, kind of as the core, you know, a lot of the adventures had, you know, a monster or two here. The box sets from uh, the Ivory Triangle to City uh, City by the Silt Sea, you know, they all had several, several monsters in there that fit the area. So mm-hmm. there really are a lot of monsters. I remember, you know, back in the day, since everything was kind of like the the old uh, Monsters Compendium, the loose leaf thing, I went and like mm-hmm. photocopied all of the monsters from all of the other <laughs> and like tried to put them all together into one massive thing. So that there are tons, tons of monsters. Beyond that, there is uh, the Faces of the Forgotten North and the Terrors of the Deadlands, which are two PDFs that were put out by Athos.org during the 3E days. Mm-hmm. The de- Terrors of the Deadlands, obviously about, you know, tons of undead, which we'll talk about later as well. And Faces of the Forgotten North is something that was sort of like really just a playtest uh, adventure, or not adventure, but a supplement mm. that was put out um, that had a bunch of monsters in it. And really not much more was done with that. However, literally just, I think yesterday, Peter Nuttall uh, Brax put out basically the book of the North that him and Will Kendrick wrote. He kind of cleaned it up and he just put it on the Facebook group. So if you're in the Dark Sun Facebook group, go check that out. I've not even gotten a chance to look at it yet. So and beyond that, there is the 4E creature catalog. So, you know, talking about how special monsters are for Dark Sun, 4th edition D&D, when they put out world settings, they put out like a player's book and a DM's book. Mm-hmm. Dark Sun broke that mold in 4th edition and they just put out, you know, the campaign setting. And instead of putting out a player's book, they made the campaign setting bigger than some of the others. And they made their own monsters compendium. So there's a creature catalog, a 4E creature catalog that has a ton of monsters from, you know, basically updated. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that they did in that 4E creature catalog was they actually added some of, uh, that's where we get the stats of some of the Sorcerer Kings that, uh, that we never had before. Yeah, that's right. So that's one of the really cool, cool things about 4th edition. We got to see what they look like 
as well as some NPCs and whatnot. The Sorcerer Kings and Queens. That was one of my favorite parts of that of that book. If it's got stats, you can kill it, right? That's that's how D and D played. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start talking about uh, just kind of the lore of some of the monsters and some of the like what we see. What does the existence of these monsters sort of tell us about the world? The big thing is is that pretty much for every single monster entry, at least that I can sort of just sort of remember, and, and as I'm glancing over. Psionics is, has plays a big part in it. Like everybody, you know, if you're looking at the second edition stuff, it's got like, oh, what are its attack, you know, psionic attacks and what's the psionic defenses, mm-hmm. disciplines, you know, attack, those kind of things. How many PSPs do they have? Most of them have those. And I haven't pulled out my Psionics handbook for second edition recently, but kind of want to go back and be like, okay, what are these things? I don't remember how any of these things kind of work anymore. That's a very prevalent thing. Even some of those, you know, household pets have uh, psionic powers, yeah. and you're like, "Well, that that's that's interesting." Yeah, and you know, one of the major monsters that's in the first Prism Pentad book is a monster that Rikus and Neva fight, you know, in the pits, and it is a gage. It is this kind of like giant beetle thing that has psionics, and so from a very early time. Psionics play a huge role in the the stories and in the monsters. Like you said, most creatures have psionics, and as you you know mentioned, there are a ton of pets and household animals that people use in Dark Sun. And as you also mentioned, like there's no horses, there are no cows. There are things that kind of are very similar to some of our native animals or uh, some of our real world animals, I should say. Like there is a creature called an aprig, and it pretty much looks like a six legged pig. Uh, so, I mean, there's some <laughs> ones where they, re- they really didn't, you know, they didn't really didn't stray too far. And there's another one, uh, I can't, uh, can't recall it off the top of my head, but I just remember the picture. It looks like a, it basically looks like a ram, probably with six legs as well. Mm-hmm. They, they just like to give a lot of things like extra legs and call it something different. <laughs> yeah. There's a, oh, what is that? No, I think the Kiri is something different. It has horns, yeah. right? The, the thing that looks like a tiger with yeah. six legs. Yeah, basically, the Kiri has, I think it has eight legs with uh, with horns. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> but there, you know, one of the ways that you can really make, um, that I really like to make Dark Sun stand out is by talking about how the sort of household and common animals are different and mm-hmm. why they are different and how that changes society. For example, you have the Erdlu and the Erdlu are basically like, they're kind of like your ostrich more or less. They're like small, flightless either birds or reptiles. Mm-hmm. I say small, but I don't really mean like literally small. They're man size or whatever, but they use them, you know, they eat their eggs and they they eat them. They So they use them as herd animals. Related to the Erdlu, you have the Krodlu and Krodlu were brought out later. In what book were they? Oh, they were in the Dune Trader book. Okay. And they are basically, that's kind of like the replacement for the horse. So if the Erdlu is sort of like man size and what you eat, Krodlu are like a little bit bigger. They kind of have a little more armor. They're a little meaner, but they are basically your sort of ostrich-like lizard. And then you have the kank, and the kank is like a giant... Uh, it's a big ant. Yeah. <laughs> and not only do people ride them, but they also use some of them for food because they make these honey globules, which people can eat. Um, they also make what's called broy, which is basically mead, um, mm-hmm. you know, so an alcoholic drink. And one of the cool things um, that often gets overlooked, and I think it got overlooked in fourth edition... And also in like one of the novels, but kanks really, really smell badly when they die. And <laughs> it's almost, it, it's almost impossible to eat them because they smell so badly and uh, the, the meat sort of rots away or whatever. And so that's just like one more thing about darks and that's like a little bit different, you know? And so I always like, you know, little, little details like that. Yeah. And it, it just really brings up the fact that you're dealing with very foreign things. I mean, 
Crodlu is maybe, for the better lack of word, is a giant ostrich or a dinosaur thing. You got a kank, mm-hmm. which is basically your staple riding animal, um, especially for you know elven traders, and yeah. it's just this fast ant, like a gigantic ant, and some of them produce honey. You know, there's no four-legged, you know, hoofed creatures. You know, because you know where you're gonna get the metal to put horseshoes on them, sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, kind of taking the household or, or common animals and sort of making those bigger and making animals fit into Dark Sun, which, as we mentioned briefly before, was kind of meant to be like this world that was kind of perpetually in war. And to highlight that, in Dragon Age well, 185, there was an article, it is called, let me see here, uh, Mastered Yet Untamed by Tim Brown. And this has a whole bunch of, or several, I should say, beasts of burden for your Dark Sun campaigns. Mm-hmm. One of them is a Bazrag. And a Bazrag is an interesting thing because there are actually two Bazrags in Dark Sun. <laughs> so in Troy Denny's original novel, The Prison Pendad, he talks about a Bazrag and he talks about them as, uh, as if they are intelligent, sort of these sort of um, uh, hairy kind of orc-like creatures mm-hmm. um, that are not very smart. And so they make a brief appearance. And then in this article in Dragon 185, there's a creature called a Bazrag and the Brahm sketch that goes with it is this little sort of insect or not insect, this a lizard-like creature with this sort of weird bony face. And, but they're small. They're like, you know, like a little dog sized creature. And it's really funny that, you know, there were these two creatures that have the same name in Dark Sun. <laughs> it's just interesting that they, they kind of got their, uh, their wires crossed on that one. Um, but then we're also introduced to the heavy crowdloo and the heavy crowdloo is basically like twice as big as a man. And so they're like, you know, mm. these, they're basically your war horse, basically of, of dark sun. Uh, they're like 12 feet tall. They're, they're just huge. They're, uh, I, I just love this Brahm picture mm-hmm. of them. And that's another thing that we should mention. You know, we talked about how Brahm has influenced this game. And I think you can see a lot of that here in these pictures because both Tim Brown and uh, Troy Denning have gone on to say that sometimes Brom just drew a picture and they were like, well, we got to put that in there, you yeah, know? Put something in and there. so I don't know, like how many of these were that case, you know, the Bazrag, the, the heavy mm-hmm. Crodlu, the Drick. So again, talking about how Dark Sun is a war world, some of these creatures are war creatures. So there's this mm-hmm. creature called the Drick, which is like a massive mod turtle basically they have a giant shell but they also have this maw full of teeth they're like 35 feet long and it talks about how war architects like flatten their backs out and then put like catapults on their backs and stuff like that so they are just you know something that is definitely you know warlike in dark sun uh, mm-hmm. they also list uh, jaleth gak which is like a, a a flying just this giant flying insect there's a rook toy which are these creatures that can run across the silt and that's another thing a lot of creatures in Dark Sun, you know, have to do with silt mm-hmm. because that's a major part of the world. You know, there's no ocean, so there's these silt, but there are still things that live in the silt and dangers in the silt. That's probably its own its own episode. Yeah. And then finally, we have the watchroach, which is like a giant war beetle. And it talks about how there are also undead watchroaches. So, you mm-hmm. know, when these things die, they kind of hollow them out and make them like a moving undead caravan mm-hmm. of just these watchroach beetles that people ride in and stuff. So, there's so many cool things like that about Dark Sun. I mean, one of the things, uh, especially for second edition, you know, they talk a lot about, there's always that the ecology section. And what it does is basically, it just tells you how these things survive in the world. And obviously, we're talking about, you know, desert conditions, like Robert said, silt, 
survival conditions, you know, what it takes for a lot of them, a lot of these creatures, they tell you, or a lot of monsters will tell you, you know, how does this, this monster survive in the wild? Like, you know, what is its prey? What is it feeding on? And, um, given the, the climate and given the dangers of Dark Sun, I mean, a lot of them, these creatures are very well you know, armored, armed, less food or less water that they drink, or they, they do see things in certain ways that you can create this atmosphere about them. I mean, we all know what a horse is in, in general. I'm, I'm guessing most people know what a horse is, <laughs> but how much do we really know about a horse? But in Dark Sun, they go into more details about, you know, talking about the crawdloots, like what does a domesticated crawdloot seem like? What do they look like in the wild? What is their food? You know, how do they survive? Even for things that are like more aberration or, or undead, it still tells you how these things survive. What is, what do they hunt? Uh, what is their place inside this survival world that basically they've been put into? Uh, yeah. You know, talking about that, just as soon as you said ecology, it struck a, uh, you know, I had a neuron fire off and one of my favorite books of all times is a book by Teo Sabadia and Gerald Arthur Lewis, and it is called The Net Librum of Athasian Ecology. Mm-hmm. And this was written in, you know, I don't know, the 90s. And Teos and Gerald, they took an ecological view of monsters. And they said, like, how can all of these monsters live in dark sun? If you look at a desert, most monsters or most monsters, most creatures are kind of smaller but in dark sun, there's a lot of really, really big creatures. And so like, how do they get, you know, enough nutrients and enough calories to survive? And so it talks about things like maybe a lot of monsters have like psionic, you know, can pull energy psionically from the sun, you know, from light basically. And there's just a ton of kind of made up ecology also, but also like some, there's some real world ecology to talk about. So if you like that kind of thing and you really want to have uh, the monsters come alive, definitely check out the Net Librarum of Athasian Ecology. It is on uh, athos.org. We'll put it in the show notes. But going outside of sort of this naturalistic view, or maybe it is part of the naturalistic view, one of the big things that makes Dark Sun different are the elements. Earth, air, fire, and water are uh, one of the sort of magical sources. And in addition to that, and maybe because of that, the elemental creatures play a big role in Dark Sun. So, you know, it's not uncommon to kind of just find elemental creatures roaming around in their kind of near native element, with the exception, obviously, of like water elementals. You're not really going to see too many of those. Mm-hmm. But there are definitely, you know, you're going to find your your air elementals, your dust devils, your magma elementals, and all kinds of things like that. In addition, um, you know, Dark Sun has its own sort of special elements. Since elements are such a big deal, you have your your para elements, which are like when you combine two elements together. And so for Dark Sun, they did that in such a way that like, for example, air and earth together are silt. So you had silt elementals and fire and earth are magma. So you have magma elementals and you know you have rain um, and then you have sun. So those elementals, uh, you find those. And not only that, but the world is so tied uh, closely to the elements that you get this kind of bleed over from in what was second edition, the, the elemental planes. And I guess you kind of have that in throughout the editions, but in various degrees of it. But these elemental planes had a lot of bleed over. And because of that, you had elemental beasts that you could run into. And they were more or less, you know, like your sort of standard beast with like elemental, like whatever element properties. So you could have basically flying fish mm-hmm. from the elemental plane of air that were like piranhas. 
or you could have a fire cat that was more or less a tiger or whatever, but it also had these fire elements to it. So one of the cool things was that you could just, you know, make all of these, you know, you could, you could just add a bit of elemental energy to any kind of regular animal and uh, call it an elemental beast. And, mm-hmm. um, and it just gave a different sort of flavor, you know, for Dark Sun. One of the other things that was huge, and again, tying in with the elements were drakes. Yeah. Drakes were all elementally flavored. So you had your earth drake, your fire, and so on. And since there are no dragons in Dark Sun, you know, in general, the sort of drakes often took up some of that space of the dragons um, yeah. in, in regular worlds. Yeah, and, and you'll notice that in terms of design, they, they really went with the, there's four elements, and therefore there's four of each type of these creatures. So yeah. if you had an air drake, there would be an earth drake. And right. if you had an air elemental, there you know there's a water elemental. You can kind of fill up a little bit more in that sense. I know that's been called lazy design by some other designers, but it is it is one of those things that back in second edition, that's really what happened was you really wanted to push that you know earth, air, uh, fire, water sort of thing because it's part of the setting, it's part of the the mythos of the setting. And yeah, I mean, you got a lot of those. So when you kind of flip to one section and it had anything to do with elemental, you would notice that there's at least four of them, uh, even though paramental ones. You always have the four para-elemental mm-hmm. creatures or monsters. But always made it interesting because you're like, well, let's let's see which one this is. And they would be different. I mean, just like elementals look different. If you look at the fifth edition elementals or you type in like, you know, elementals, you know, D&D, they, they look different. They're built different. And for the drakes, for example, they looked extremely different from one another. They had different powers. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. air elementals, uh, air elemental things usually fly. But yeah, that that's that kind of came through in the, in that design. And it's not for us to say whether or not it's a good or bad design, but at least you knew if you wanted a fire-based thing, you could fire in that fire-based creature yeah. line to go and do stuff. Definitely. In tying in with all of the elements, like we were talking about, there's the the elemental clerics, but also druids were tied into the elements with their magic and one of the ways that that was done is by having druids sort of partner with the spirits of the land, which were basically animated ideas of the land. So you might have, you know, a spirit of the land that represented a waterfall that was uh, in this secret valley that the, the druids sort of gained their power from. And the spirits of the land were sort of intelligent. And they played a part in a couple of the books. And if you have any, you know, they, they always made good kind of quest givers because if you had a druid the spirit of the land could be guiding your druid and if you had uh you know if you just had good characters the spirit of the land could reach out to them to ask them to do stuff so i always like that idea of the spirit of the land and these these kind of spirits that inhabited different parts of the desert you know that were sort of the last vestiges of the sort of goodly i don't know gaia sort of idea and beyond that one of the things that makes Dark Sun interesting is, is again, just everything is, you know, they're, they try to put in so many different kind of creatures. So, for example, golems, you know, you have your sort of earth golem, which is definitely in Dark Sun, but you have like, uh, they try to do different things with golems. So, you have your ash golem, your chitin golem, your obsidian golem. So, they always came back to those sorts of just trying to do things differently and to not use your run-of-the-mill golems that you have in other worlds. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think like a obsidian golem would be something common, at least not in a, a 
typical D and D fantasy. I mean, maybe something that you play with, but these are things that are more readily available. I mean, and reinforce again, reinforcing the fact of what what Dark Sun is. Obsidian is used for weaponry. We wouldn't normally use it because we have iron and bronze, but that's what they use. And and chitin. I mean, you got all those kanks running around. You got to do something after they die and smell horrible. Let's make a golem out of it. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like again, it's just reinforcing. We're using what we have to create these golems. Yeah, that and like obsidian also has this really cool place in Darkson in that not only can you use it for the weapons, but it's used in kind of defiling magic a lot. And so it just kind of automatically brings that aura. If anything is sort of obsidian beyond weaponry, it's, you know, it's probably has to do with the fire. <laughs> <laughs> One of the big kind of big bads in Darkson are giants. They seem to be everywhere. And they are different. You don't have your fire giants, your frost giants, your cloud giants and all those. You don't have any of those. Uh, mm-hmm. You just have sort of like your plains giants and your desert giant. What are they? Plains plains and mountains giants, I believe. But yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, remember, we haven't mentioned it. I know we mentioned it a little bit, but there are no dragons. We're playing Dungeons and Dragons and there's basically no dragons. There's drakes. Yes, I understand. There is a dragon, but you're not going <laughs> to... The dragon's not generally something you're just going to encounter. And giants, again, are the same thing. They are an iconic creature of D&D. And what they did is, it's not that they removed dragons and they didn't remove giants, but they really did turn them on their head to create a completely different paradigm for, for Dark Sun. And you're not messing with something small here. You're messing with something that people understand. What's a giant? Well, it's a big humanoid. That's this. And there's multiple types. But now you're, you go into Dark Sun and there's the, the desert, the plains, the, the, the crazy beast headed ones. You yeah, know, they have yeah. a completely different ecology. They, they fit a different niche, kind of fit a, a little slightly different niche inside of the, inside of Dark Sun. Uh, whereas, you know, yeah, they can still be these big bads, but it, it almost isn't anymore. It's just, it's, um, yes, they are, they are sort of more, in the lore, one mm-hmm. of the cool things about Athasian giants, lore-wise, is that they—it's known that you know their hair is sort of like this very coarse hair, and they actually make rope out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you don't really have hemp rope, although I'm sure that some of that's around you know, since they would probably make it from draj. But you always hear about giant hair rope. Mm-hmm. And so there, you know, in some of the books, they talk about giants taking people across the sea of silt because they're so tall you know, they can walk through it a lot of times. And so those are definitely some interesting sort of aspects of giants in the lore of Dark Sun. I really like, you know, you mentioned the beast head giants, and they're a little bit smaller than than the others in the plains and desert giants. And I think even there was crag giants were brought up somewhere. But the beast headed giants, one of the interesting things about them is that some of their, you know, they're literally like giants, you know, still 20 feet tall, but they literally have the heads of beasts. And some of the heads that they have are of animals that no longer exist on dark sun. So that was, uh, again, just a cool little sort of lore thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was like, you know, the, the wolf and the goat ones. And yeah, there are no wolves or goats on dark sun. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I wonder why that is. I've, I've, I've never thought about that until now. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And just before we move on, kind of talking more about the story of stuff, I went through and I know there are a couple like scorpion or scorpion like creatures, but it's a desert setting. I, I would mm-hmm. imagine and I would assume 
there'd be more scorpions. Like even in like the common household animals or the, the common creatures, common animals, yeah. you'd see more scorpions, but you really haven't. And I always wondered why that was. It was just like, what did I, I watched a uh, clash of clash of the Titans the other day, just uh-huh. not a good movie, but it was going in the background and they're in this like sandy, craggy area. And there's just gigantic scorpions pop up. That's, yeah. that's a very, very, a very stereotypical desert creature. Mm-hmm. And I, I never remember using any of them when I was running Dark Sun. And I don't remember actually remember encountering any of them when I was in Dark Sun. Not to say there aren't, but I never saw them. I was, I've, I always, oh, that's really strange. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And, and I would like to see, you know, giant scorpions that you can ride. Yeah. <laughs> like that, uh, I could definitely see that in Dark Sun. But you're right, you know, that just was never, never brought up. And especially with the whole warlike aspect, I think that would be, that would be something useful. I remember back in the day, I had a bunch of miniatures that had goblin riders and i totally totally use those in my games as uh things you could ride yeah for sure so we've talked about a lot of the sort of different different animals and the the lore that kind of goes with them in dark sun let's talk about kind of more of the the story like how can you use these creatures in your game and how would they change them how can we use these different animals to make your game different from a standard D game well, like we mentioned before, I mean, there are very few mammals, and even if they are, they're they're not your typical docile domesticated creatures. I, I mean, I, I think remember one of those one of the things uh, in the original box set they talked about mechalots, uh, mel- mechalots. Yeah, oh, I don't remember pronouncing that right. They were like, <laughs> these are domesticated beasts, but get too close to their mouths and they'll eat you. And you're like, well, that's a great domesticated beast. I'm not worried about that if I go near a cow. <laughs> Right? right, right, and that just—I mean, if that's what you call a domesticated creature, you know, right? I, I'm using air yeah. quotes right now. That's pretty <laughs> crazy, and you're you're like, okay, you know, your most loyal creature is probably the kank if it thinks that you're the queen or you're the leader. But even then, it's a giant insect with really big pincers and whatnot, and, and mandibles, and you're like, that's that's not a friendly looking creature. You know, the friendliest looking creature is the one that you step in front of, they eat you. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. Yeah, those sorts of things, you know, they really provide texture to me. You know, mm-hmm. if you can mention those things offhand, like, oh, they're riding, they're riding Makillit, they're riding an Inix, they're yeah. all of these little things. It just makes it so the world seems different. You know, you're not using the same words. And it's that whole thing. It, it, it breaks that whole mold of, I think, in the, in the early 90s and the late 80s there was this movement of like they have these things and they're four-legged and they have long necks and they let people ride them but they call them something other than horses but they're really mm-hmm. just horses right and so like it kind of takes that and like really gets rid of that and just says no these are different creatures and it makes the world feel different yeah yeah along the same ways is that to texturize the world and to make it seem more deadly you know when you're out in the deserts you not only have to deal with you know bandits and and things like that, other humanoids and other creatures, you also have to deal with like carnivorous plants. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole category of dark sun monsters that are carnivorous plants. And they often show up trying to sneakily hide from people like, you know, some, there's like a hunting cactus that can move that looks like a cactus, but it can like shoot its spines out at you. Mm-hmm. There are, um, there are these giant things that kind of look like an oasis, <laughs> but they like the water is like poison or something like that. And it will eat you. Yeah, what are those called? <laughs> is that the Doom something? No. 
Uh, there are also there, there are like sand brides that look yeah. like you know look like sandstorms, uh, and I guess that's not really a plant, but you know there there are I guess there's a whole other aspect there that we could talk about of things that look like natural features of the land, but are really monsters or whatever as well. Dune Trapper. They, I'm, I'm Dune looking Trapper. Up there you go. Yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, everything on Darkseid is trying to kill you. The things you normally <laughs> yeah. eat are, are will eat you in return. I mean, it's yes. not like they're saying. Oh, here are some of these friendly plants, and here's some tasty cactuses. No, this cactus is a sand cactus, and it's going to kill you. And <laughs> this carnivorous plant is going to kill you this way, and the spider cactus, that's it. The spider cactus, mm-hmm. the one that shoots out its spine, is going to drag you back and drain your blood like it's a roper. You know, it's like yeah. every single thing. Now, don't get me wrong, some of them say, you know, if you open this thing up, it's got water in it. It's It's potable water, but... Pretty much it's like, well, get through everything else first before you get to it. You know, get get anything useful out of it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The zombie plant, that's it. You know, yep. you eat it and it turns you into like a mindless thug, basically. Yes, not technically a zombie, but this mindless thug that you protected and you feed it and you bring it more things to feed it blood or is that the blood one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> one like that. There's yeah. also some plants like that basically give you extra psionic powers if you eat them mm-hmm. but of course you you got to survive them in order to get to that point because they will i think they try to blind you and um, <laughs> so yeah, there's just there's so many different things that you can use as you know more than just like all right you're walking down the road and this thing jumps out and tries to eat you you know it's something more interesting you know you you just ran into a huge dust storm and it ruined all your water you need water you go you know, you go to this oasis and the oasis tries to eat you or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's ways to sort of contextualize all these creatures. And we talked about the silt. And mm-hmm. the silt is another way that you can really bring monsters into your game. So one of the things with the silt is, you know, that you fall into it and you can you can drown unless you have sort of not drown, but I guess suffocate in the silt. But as you're out there, there are all these creatures that you can deal with. And, you know, we talked about the giants already. Mm-hmm. So they can help you get from one side of the silt to the other or to some islands that are out in the silt that might otherwise be difficult to get to. There are uh, floaters, which are basically like giant jellyfish, although they float using, you know, they have some sort of helium or something in them that lets them float, yeah. but they're otherwise like jellyfish. There are, I think they're called razor wings. They're basically like kind of pteranodon sort of like creatures that mm-hmm. that swoop over the top of the silt and kind of eat things. There are, uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting one of the huge things. What's the name of the creatures that live in the silt and they have the tentacles? Silt horror? Silt horror. What? There you go. <laughs> silt horror. They're a huge thing. Like I said, they're kind of like they're sort of like the, the octopus or or something like that. They have they have uh, tentacles, and so they'll pull you out of the silt. You know, the kind of like the kraken sort of like yeah. idea. And they like capture anything that's on top, or yeah, you know, like grabbing flying creatures mm-hmm. out. Yep, yep. They different. They came in different colors or something like that. Yeah, yeah. There was a bunch of different colors. There's like black magma. There's silt spawn, which are like smaller things. There are like silt uh, silt snakes. There's just like all kinds of stuff that have to do with the silt and that, you know, you can use all of these things to sort of drive your story and to, and to make it slightly different than a regular adventure. So like if you're on the silt sea, you don't only have to worry about, you know, falling into the silt, but you have to worry about what comes out of the silt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, 
you you look at these specialized creatures for their specialized ecology or specialized terrain. You know, there's there's the silt runners that that run across the silt. You know, things that live inside silt. I mean, I don't know how you're supposed to breathe in that. Um, you know, all, all those things. It's it, it really focuses on. You know, one of the things for Dark Sun is it really focuses on those different terrains because it, it goes to the trouble, like we we did in in our previous episode. Go to the trouble of actually describing those terrains. Telling you what it's like, telling what kind of encounters, you know, we all know what a desert probably looks like. We know what a forest probably looks like. We know what plains looks like. But in, in Dark Sun, you have these these creatures that are uniquely adapted to those areas. That not only are they adapted, they're just really deadly. The one creature I do want to kind of bring into the story, and I never ended up using one, and I'm sure DMs have, is that sink worm. You know, maybe that's an homage to Dune or whatnot. Right, right. The, like the 50-foot-long worm that kind of pops out and swallows things whole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always remember that, and I'm like, hmm, how do I use that somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, let's talk about, you know, the mechanics of some of the monsters. And as we get into that, you know, you were just talking about the terrain. I think one of the things I loved about Dark Sun is that all of the different terrain that they mentioned, you know, with the exception of obviously like the silt. I recognize and you know I'm from I'm from Phoenix uh, from Arizona and so like I lived in the desert for 30 years and like all of those different kinds of terrain that you know all these monsters live in the stony barrens the rocky badlands the monsters that are in dark sun are broken up by where they live and just like you know we have forests and plains or whatever in regular worlds you have all these encounter tables in dark sun and it has uh, all the monsters by the different terrains and I always I always love that and it really helped. I mean, it, these are some creatures that are completely foreign to us. And, and don't get me wrong. It's not like we know what an orc or a unicorn actually is, but you, you have these extremely unique creatures. I mean, you don't really, you wouldn't really put these creatures in another setting. It just wouldn't fit as well. Right. And you have these unique creatures and you got no idea kind of how to use them. Like if you look at the original monstrous compendium and look at those tables, yeah, there's a couple of like creatures that are, that are in there. But you'd be looking and be like, you know, what area am I looking at? What creature is it? Does it fit in this area? How would that work? And, you know, we have random tables now, but it's different, right? You you can imagine where you would encounter an orc. You know, we've played so much fantasy D&D. We know when, you, you know where you're going to encounter a red dragon, probably. <laughs> but would you know where a dragon is supposed to go? Or what things are supposed to come out of that silt and attack you when you're trying to traverse it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, you know, we talked about psionics and throughout the, uh, you know, different editions of Dark Sun, you know, psionics have been handled differently. In the original box set, Dark Sun box set, they were straight out of the psionics handbook, the complete psionics handbook. Mm-hmm. However, shortly after that, I, I think it was the skills and powers books or um, something like Player that. options. Players options, yeah. There was this idea of like, they tried to make psionic combat more like physical combat because like a lot of things in the, in the 90s, these sort of subsystems that they were trying to make different, they kind of ended up making it so different that it was like almost a complete other game while you were trying to play this other game. So like, yeah. <laughs> it's the same sort of thing in, uh, like in, in Shadowrun and you had a Decker and if the Decker go and went and did his thing, it was completely different than what everybody else was doing. And the same thing kind of happened with, with psionic. And so they tried to sort of change that and gave it this like mental armor class. And so basically you still rolled to hit and everything like that. And it, mm-hmm. it did, it, it made it too much like combat. And there was like very little difference. So there's, there's kind of those different ways. In third edition, you know, 
they sort of kept a lot of the mental armor class kind of ideas with the way third edition work. And mm-hmm. to, to me personally, it kind of felt like it was just another kind of combat. Mm-hmm. Fourth edition Sonics were kind of, I felt like in the right, along the right ways of Sonic, but still didn't really feel like Dark Sun to me. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different ways that Psionics has sort of played out over the editions. And of course, with fifth edition, we still don't really know what Psionics are going to look like. You yeah. know, they have the Mystic, they've put the Mystic out uh, mm-hmm. as Unearthed Arcana for fifth edition, but they've also said that it's sort of, and I definitely agree with this, that it's kind of overpowered right now and they're going to they're gonna try to pair it back. Yeah. In yeah. addition to me, again, it does not feel very Dark Sun to me. Mm-hmm. Dark Sun mm-hmm. has its own sort of psionic system, but we'll talk about that later. But nonetheless, you can still have psionics if you're running a fifth edition Dark Sun game. Mm-hmm. The way I do it personally is I go back and I look at the monsters and I see what psionic abilities they have. And one of the things that we've done in fifth edition is that we kind of, when we're creating monsters, we kind of pick a couple of really cool things that the monster can do mm-hmm. and make those, you know, features or attacks or whatever. And so I look at psionics and I'll pick one or two things maximum that they can do. If there are other things that I can make sort of like passive effects, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And you just say it's psionics. You just make up some trader ability and call it psionics. You can also, if you really need to, model things after spells. So you can call them innate. Instead of innate spell casting, you just have innate psionics. psionics yeah. Use some spells, just, you know, kind of flavor them a little different. Um, and you know what? Your players, they never know as long as you're just sort of <laughs> couching it in the terms of psionics and mental powers and things like that. They're good to go usually. Yeah. And again, we, we are waiting for something for psionics. I mean, uh, we're, we're not going to go into all the mechanics because, again, that's a whole topic to itself. Yeah. But everybody do understand that one of the, the things that you want to create in your Dark Sun-based game is that psionics feel. Now, I, I know that some people are like, oh, you can remove psionics. Yes, absolutely you can. But I, I would keep it in there. And even though in second edition, they used a lot of the like, this is psychokinesis and this is telekinesis. One of the things good about the fifth edition psionic stuff is that they've named things as if they're like fantasy names, like a fireball. Yeah. And um, I'm, I, I'm blanking a little bit on what they call some of these things, but they didn't use like psychokinesis. They didn't use right. those names as the powers. Pseudoscience fiction kind of names. Yeah, no pseudoscience fiction. I mean, this is Dark Sun. So they used those things, you know, instead of Mage Hand, it's, you know, whatever. I actually don't remember. Wow, I'm really blanking on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head either. But, but yeah, I, to- I totally know what you're saying. And as long as you can do that in the game, make it feel like psionics and mental powers, then, then I think you're good to go. Yeah. Throughout the different editions of Dark Zone, one of the cool things about sort of post-apocalyptic games, and, you know, it can be argued that Dark Sun is sort of like post-post-apocalyptic because yeah. all of the apocalypse stuff had a lo- happened a long time ago, but it's still like desert-like, which is, I feel like that's where it gets its post-apocalyptic stuff. And also that it's, you know, that, that resources, you know, we've talked about this a lot, resources or lack thereof is really important. Mm-hmm. And so one of the places people get resources is from animals and from mm-hmm. creatures. And so I really, really like to use animal bits and pieces as resources. Yeah. I remember one of the things I did, um, I did the Athasian Armor book net project mm-hmm. back in the days. And basically, I took a bunch of monsters and we made like a whole bunch of different kinds of armor using the hide or the scales of those monsters. And so it really gave, you know, you could say, this guy is wearing Drake armor. This mm-hmm. guy is wearing Braxat shell. 
And it kind of just gave, again, you know, talking about how it just gives it a different flavor, just like, you know, using different monsters in place of kind of common animals that we have gives it that different texture. Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've talked about this before. I mean, the Rasklin, you know, I go back to this like every other episode and, you know, it's just the Rasklin hides. How many do you need to make armor? How many, right. how many can you go find? We're going to go hunting for those things right now. Mm-hmm. We'll be like, oh, you're going to encounter a drake and everybody's calling dibs on on claws and, and hide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which armor do I get? And, you know, the stuff you made out of it was like plus two weapons and plus two armor, which was pretty good in Dark Sun considering you like basically never got that anyways. Right. One of the things that we're going to talk a little bit about later is the various kind of forms of undead. One of the things that Dark Sun is known for are its undead. Uh, you have things like Dwarven Banshees and Dune Runners. And in each of the different editions, you know, they all sort of act a little bit differently because obviously, you're, you know, your mechanics, like how does a Dwarven Banshee whale work in second edition to fourth edition and how would you make it work in fifth edition? And so I feel like I always like to go back to the source, right? Go back to the first, the original edition. If I'm converting it to fifth edition, look at that, mm-hmm. figure out what it does to a character and then decide like, well, how am I going to make that work in fifth edition? Uh, mm-hmm. Can I just go and grab a trait from a current fifth edition monster and then slightly modify it to make it like an older edition, you know, with, with obvious changes that in fifth edition now we don't really have like the saver, uh, what a lot of people call saver suck effects, like save or die effects, basically. <laughs> and so, you know, or do I need to make a completely new one up? I mean, there are hundreds now of monsters in fifth edition between the official stuff that Wizards of the Coast has put out, plus the fantastic books by like Kobold Press mm-hmm. with their Tome of Beasts and whatnot. So there are tons of monster traits that you can pick and choose from to make things really feel like how you think they should feel in Dark Sun. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, we even have, you know, Mordekainen's Tomophos. Now, I don't think that a lot of that is going to fit Dark Sun. I can't really say, <laughs> but maybe there's something in there as well that that would help and would bring bring something kind of useful to your campaign. I mean, more material is always good. More always always good material, right? So definitely. But that pretty much wraps up our topic. I know that there's a lot of things that we didn't cover. We are saving stuff for future shows. You know, we're talking about undead. You know, there's lots of undead stuff. Even the humanoid monsters like the Gith and the Thrykreen and the Drey, those things need to be saved and those are entire topics themselves. Some of those are like player character races, so <laughs> they, they can give their own topic as well. Definitely. We want to kind of finish it there because, of course, we don't want to go crazy over time. And I don't know how long you guys actually will listen to us. <laughs> but <laughs> Robert, if people want to talk to you, ask you more questions, get your opinion on stuff, what's the best way for them to contact you? Sure. So you can uh, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Radu76. That's R-A-D-D-U-7-6. You can reach me on Facebook in the Dark Sun group. Definitely on there. Just search for the, you know Dark Sun. I'm definitely in all of the Dark Sun groups that will pop up. Mm-hmm. If you want to email me, you can email me radu at athis.org. You can also find me on the athis.org arena forums. You can also find me on my Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Robert Aducci, you can find me there. You can play some Adventures League games with me and some Dark Sun games. Actually, my Dark Sun game, I think, is about to be full, which is awesome. But if I get a few more players, I will definitely start another Dark Sun game. So you can find me in all those places. How about you, Wayne? Best way to reach me is probably our, we have a uh, email address for Bones on Obsidian, and that's in the show notes. You can find me on Twitter, which I don't, <laughs> not a lot on, on uh, social media these days. It's been very, very busy, but Visionary Comms on social media. 
I usually let Robert answer all the questions <laughs> so that he can, he's more active than I am on Facebook and whatnot. But please, I mean, if you have questions, you have comments, if there's things you'd like to know about, please let us know and, and we'll, we'll consider for a future show. And like I said, we're going to try to be more consistent with our recording. Uh, we have a nice schedule down that as long as we don't get interference from, from conventions, which we know they're starting up and whatnot, <laughs> but you can always hit us up and, and say hi at a convention. Or just say hi online and just be like, hey, how's it, how's it going? And uh, we'll uh, endeavor to answer you and endeavor to interact with you there. But regardless, that's it for this show. There's going to be lots more of Monsters that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk you know, from all the editions as, as much as we can and from different books. But for now, that's it. That's us signing off. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll hear from you soon. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.